This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Buss, and I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll learn about the power of magnesium with Andrea Donsky. We'll find out how to eat a plant-based diet on a budget with Mercedes Gold. We'll discuss self-talk with Hina Khan. And lastly, we'll try to understand CRISPR with Bram Bussin. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot of healthy headlines. Despite popular advice to the contrary, after decades of study, there remains no clear evidence that serotonin levels, or serotonin activity, are responsible for depression, according to a major review of prior research undertaken by the University College London. If you read the news, you might be concerned that the social fabric of our society is fraying. But according to new research published by the American Psychological Association, cooperation among strangers has actually gradually increased in the U.S. since the 1950s. Trial participants at a University of Reading study reported feeling less anxious or depressed after taking high doses of vitamin B6 for a month. The trial provides evidence that the calming effect B6 has on the brain could make it effective in preventing or treating mood disorders. That was your tonic quick shot. I'll be joined by Andrea Donsky in a moment. But first, a little bit of business. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal. Proudly Canadian and family owned for over 35 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one in a state-of-the-art ISO-accredited lab. You get the purity and potency you expect. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. Andrea Donsky is a registered holistic nutritionist with 20 years experience in natural health and wellness. She's the co-founder and editor-in-chief of NaturallySavvy.com and a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine and this show. Welcome back, Andrea. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. So great to be back. Yeah, great to have you. And today, like, you know, I couched it in terms that the headline is the power of magnesium. So we're going to have to dazzle everybody with the immense power of magnesium. Are you up for the task? I am because I absolutely love magnesium. Okay. Uh, you know, I respect and like magnesium. I don't know if I have a love relationship with magnesium, but maybe <laughs> maybe by the end of this interview, I will come to love magnesium in the same way that you do. Okay. <laughs> I'll see. I'm going to do my best. Okay. So I came across a statistic recently that said that our fruits and vegetables contain 30% less minerals than they did 50 years ago. Any idea why that is? Yeah. I mean, first of all, very interesting stat, right? Yeah. When you think about it in terms of where we are now versus where we were 50 years ago. Right. So the proportion of nutrients change as they ripen. So, for example, like the sugar content will increase as it ripens. Also, certain nutrients like vitamin C, for example, and other minerals, as well as antioxidants, increase as well. So what does that mean for us if it's 30% less than it was 50 years ago? 
Well, it means that the foods that we used to <laughs> that we used to eat that were filled with minerals aren't anymore. So many of us are deficient, unfortunately, in these important minerals, and we don't even realize it. Also, add to that, many of us are eating diets that contain large amounts of ultra-processed foods, which are deficient not only in minerals but other nutrients as well, right? So if you're eating a lot of ultra-processed foods and you're not getting the nutrients you need, that's a major reason why. Alcohol can leach minerals from our body. Gut issues as we get older. We don't absorb our minerals as well as we did when we were younger. And lifestyle plays a role too, like when we're stressed. So what we can do to help with our mineral depletion is, by the way, you know, it's is eating a whole foods diet, making sure that you're getting a variety of fruits and vegetables. So like aiming to eat the rainbow is important. And also you can consider taking supplements, which is what I do, because, you know, a couple of years ago when I renovated my kitchen, I wasn't eating the diet that I was normally eating, and I became severely depleted in my minerals. And the way I was able to tell that was because I saw it in my nails. So just even when we're out of our normal way of doing things or we're not eating the whole foods like we normally do or we're eating a diet that we don't normally eat can all have a role in mineral depletion. So other than your nails not looking the way they would normally look, which I presume speaks to calcium, how would we know, for example, if we were deficient in magnesium? Yeah, so there are different ways that your body will tell you if you're deficient. So for example, for me, it was my nails. Um, You can also have muscle spasms. You can have eye twitches. So your body will tell you in, you know, different ways. So fatigue, sleep issues, irritability, insomnia, headaches, constipation, bloating, nausea, inflammation, low concentration, low blood pressure, even stamina is a symptom if you're not getting enough, for example, magnesium in particular because it affects muscle function. And the heart is the big muscle that we need to worry about, right? So Mm -hmm. if you're feeling any of these symptoms, aside obviously from speaking to your doctor, of course, you can try supplementing with mixed minerals or even, you know, with magnesium. As in my opinion, magnesium is a low-risk, high-return supplement. So to me, I I, I just think everybody... 70-80% 70-80% of us are depleted in magnesium, and that's why I feel like we should be we should be supplementing with magnesium and eating magnesium-rich foods when we can. Yeah, I mean, with your list of, you know, symptoms, I would say that probably covers just about all of us. And I can tell you that I actually supplement with magnesium just because of some of those symptomologies that you, you've talked about, you know, particularly dealing with energy levels and, you know, twitching muscles, you know, like if you're exercising regularly, magnesium should be a part of, of your diet. It just helps with all yeah. of that. And the important thing, too, is to understand why minerals are important, right? Because minerals help our body function. Right. They're important for bones. They're important for hormones, metabolism, and sleep. And we have major minerals like magnesium, like we're talking about. We have calcium. We have potassium, and which we need higher amounts of. But we also have trace minerals like chromium and selenium and zinc, mm-hmm. which we need lower amounts of. And like I said just a minute ago, is that most of us are deficient in magnesium, which is why I wanted to focus on that today, because it's one of those really important minerals that are responsible for hundreds, several hundreds, in fact, different functions in our body. Yeah, and happily, magnesium isn't too expensive, right? So if you're supplementing with it, you know, it's within everybody's wheelhouse. It's, I mean, to me, and, and you could, yes, you could supplement with it, and there's different forms you could take, sure. but also the fact that um, you can also get it through your food. So, yeah. All right, well, let's, let's talk about the different forms of magnesium. Sure, okay. So there are many different forms. There's magnesium bisglycinate. It's also known as magnesium glycinate. There's magnesium citrate, 
There's magnesium taurine, malate, orotate, threonate. So you can see there's a lot of different forms. And glycinate or bisglycinate is the most popular form. And it's a great one to start with. I kind of say it's like the all-around magnesium to start with Mm -hmm. because it's really gentle on the stomach and it can help with so many different things that, um, that we talked about just a second ago. And you can also start with a lower dosage and work your way up. Okay. So that's one form. Let's go through some of the other forms. So magnesium, let me know if I'm pronouncing this right, threonate? Yeah, magnesium threonate, exactly. So I love magnesium threonate because it, it crosses the blood-brain barrier, which means that it reaches our brain. And we know that our gut and our brain is connected, right? We know mm-hmm. that vagus nerve. Yep. So it helps to give our brain more clarity. It's amazing for brain fog and for cognition. So you think of it as ignition for cognition. I know, cute, right? Yeah. <laughs> So when you're talking about the different types of magnesium, are you taking personally more than one kind? Yeah. So so you can mix and match magnesium. So you don't you don't only have to take glycinate or only take threonate. You can actually mix different magnesium. I'm often asked that question a lot on TikTok. I have a TikTok page where I talk a lot about mag, uh, a lot about magnesium, but also about menopause and perimenopause. And I'm often said, you know, I'm often asked, Andrea, can we just you know can we mix and match? And you absolutely can take different forms. And myself, I definitely take different forms. Now you don't have to take different forms every day. You could start with glycinate because it's that foundation supplement, mm-hmm. and then take different forms as you need in combination with each other or at different times of the day. Okay. And did we talk about magnesium citrate and the difference as between the others? We didn't yet. So actually, I'm happy that you're bringing it up. So magnesium citrate. So and you, as you could see, right, different forms of magnesium have different functions in the body, right, or help with different things. So we talked about 3 eight, great for that blood-brain barrier, for the brain and cognition. We talked about glycinate as that all around. Citrate, what it's great for is it's good with, help, with helping you go to the bathroom. So if you have issues with going to the bathroom on a daily basis or if you're on certain medications that are constipating you, taking citrate can help you um, go to the bathroom better. Got it. Okay. There's yet another form, which is magnesium orotate. What's that about? What's it good for? Right. So orotate is really great for heart health because it's easily stored by the heart muscle. So it gets into the cells, and for every time the heart muscle contracts, orotate helps it to relax. So the beat goes on. <laughs> Me and my friends, <laughs> <today>, right? Um, <laughs> so if you're dealing with a heart issue, it's a good go-to form to consider taking. Now, Jamie, I remember, I think it was like, a few years ago that you were concerned about heart issues, right? I yeah. think at one point. Yeah, well, I have a history of, you know, heart disease in my family, right? So it's always mm. it's always an issue for me. And that's that's also one of the reasons that I take magnesium. Mm. Okay. So magnesium or tape would be great. Okay. So like when you go to the store and, and you just see magnesium on the bottle, typically which form of magnesium is there? Or is there no rhyme or reason as to which magnesium you're getting when it's more generalized? Well, I think the key to just look at what's on the box. So you'd probably find most common would be glycinate or bisglycinate. That's okay. a very general kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're looking specifically for threonate or malate, like you can read the label to see what forms of magnesium you're getting. And sometimes you'll see them mixed together. Okay. So should we be concerned about how much magnesium we're getting? And, and in particular, that's a two-part question for you. If we are mixing and matching, is there any concerns about taking too much magnesium, for example? Well, when it comes to magnesium glycinate, because it's gentle on the stomach, I mean, there's too much of anything is not good. Right. Right? Like, everything needs to be in balance. So let's say we want to look at what the recommended dosage is on the label. So the recommended dosage for women is 300 to 350 milligrams, and the recommended dosage for men is 400 to 400 milligrams. So like I said, too much of anything isn't good. So listen to your body. If you feel, like we talked about some of the reasons, you might say, well, what are some reasons I might need more minerals or magnesium in particular? If you're getting those eye twitches, those muscle spasms, you know, the, 
then you might see even like in the middle of the night if you get muscle in muscle pains in your legs or you have restless legs, maybe you need a little bit more. So uh, personally, I take more than 350 milligrams a day. I'm upwards of even 600. Sometimes I even go higher than that depending on my day. But you have to listen to your body. If you're having negative side effects from it, scale down, right? Like you don't want, you always want to listen to your body and yourself to say, okay, well, something's not feeling right. So the recommended dosage, a three to 350 for women, four to 450 for men. If you feel you need a little bit more, you can take a little bit more. And keep in mind, that would be something with like a magnesium glycinate, for example. But on citrate, because it's affecting how you're going to the bathroom, if you take more, it'll actually maybe perhaps give you some loose stools or it'll like give you some other side effects. So again, listen to your body and follow the directions. Always start by following the directions on the label or even a little bit less if you feel that you need to, let's say you know that you don't react very well to something or certain, uh, let's say, vitamins or minerals or whatever it is, start with less. Half the dosage that what's on the bottle or take a little bit less of what's on the bottle and then work your way up. Okay. Is it possible to get the necessary magnesium levels that you've just recommended through our diet? Is that possible? Well, you can. Get, so this will circle back to the first question. The first question that I answered was basically, or the first point that you made yeah. about the you know less less minerals in our in our food is that it is possible. Of course, we want to always start with food. We can't out-supplement good nutrition, right? Mm -hmm. So you always want to start by eating magnesium-rich foods. For example, green leafy vegetables like kale and spinach and collard greens, avocados, nuts and seeds, bananas, which also have magnesium. They also have potassium, but they also have magnesium, or fatty fish like salmon and mackerel. However, I'm going to caveat with this thing. We know that there's 30% less minerals in our food. So if you're still getting those muscle spasms, those eye twitches and those other symptoms, then I would say look to supplements because in, you know, in many cases, we're not getting enough green leafy vegetables in our diet, or we may not be eating enough of these foods to actually give us the, the, what we're looking for, right, to help get us the amount that we need. So I always say start with your food and then supplement when you feel you need to. Okay, so circling back to supplements then, if somebody wanted to take magnesium, you just mentioned, you know, having it in capsules, is that the only option? No, you can drink, actually, you can drink it too. So you can find a lot of flavored magnesium powders at the store. And they taste great, actually. I really like them. So if, let's say you have pill fatigue, which a lot of us do at this point, or if you want to take it in another way, you definitely can. So you just want to make sure that you're reading the package, you read the label, make sure it has a nice dosage or a dosage that you're looking for, and make sure that it comes in one of the forms we talked about earlier, like glycinate or whatever the forms you are looking for that works the best for you. And the nice thing about taking magnesium powders, to my point I just made earlier, is that you can also play with the dosage. So if you want to tailor it, take a little bit less, take a little bit more, you can tailor it with the, with the powder because you have you can control how much you're putting in your glass. So you use the powders because I use the capsules. I use both. I, so I primarily will use the capsules, but then sometimes I'm in the mood for the powder because it tastes really yummy, uh, the flavors that I get. So because I like the taste, sometimes I'm just in the mood for something. I just don't want to take another, another capsule that day. So I'll mix and match it. And my kids will take the powder as well. Okay. So I know a lot of the work uh, that you're currently doing centers around menopause. Someone, <laughs> not you personally, your work. So you're a menopause sleep biohacker. I know that you kind of think of yourself that way. So magnesium can impact your sleep. How, do, how does that actually work? Can you explain it? Yeah. So I am in menopause myself, which is, yes, totally. I always say that I am a menopause sleep biohacker because I'm really adamant about getting a good night's sleep. Yeah. And so many of us have a poor night's sleep in this stage of life. Yep. So perimenopause, menopause. So yes, absolutely. So magnesium plays an important role. And I'll always say if somebody's having sleep issues, start with magnesium or make that 
part of that nightly routine that you're taking because magnesium, what it does is it helps to relax us. It helps to relax our muscles. It helps to relax our nervous system. And it also helps our nerve impulses relax. So there aren't any short circuits happening while we're sleeping. And a lot of women at this stage will complain about restless legs. So I always say, you know, obviously you want to speak to your doctor about anything that you're feeling, but try taking magnesium as that perhaps can help because it shows that can help with relaxing those muscles if you're getting those restless legs. So does it matter which form of magnesium or when you take it during the day if you're trying to impact your sleep? It's a great question. So I would say start with glycinate. That would be an all-around, a great all-around type of magnesium to help with sleep. Mm -hmm. And then I would also say if you're having specific sleep issues, I would take it before bed. I take my magnesium in the afternoon. You want to take it away from certain medications. Um, just, you know, obviously speak to your doctor and your pharmacist if you're taking medications. So you want to take it away from certain um, meds. But what you can do is take it before bed, and uh, that should help you sleep better. It also can help with, like, hot flashes. A lot of women have said it helps with hot flashes. As, like we said, it helps with, you know, hundreds of functions in our body. Okay. So it metabolizes that quickly that you should take it right before bed. That's interesting. Yeah, it'll help you sleep better for sure. Yeah, it'll help you sleep better. If you're worried about it not metabolizing, like not breaking down in your body, what you can do is take the powder form. Now, <laughs> caveat is that if you're taking it in a lot of water, it might actually make you wake up during the night because you're going to have to go to the bathroom. So again, small amounts of water and just maybe take it like a couple hours before bed. If you feel that you don't want to take a capsule, you'd rather take it in the powder form. So you have to play around with it a little bit, right? Yep. Makes sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, as always. That was Andrea Donsky. For more information about Andrea Donsky, try following her on TikTok at what, Andrea? At Andrea Donsky. For great health and wellness interviews and articles, visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss eating a plant-based diet on a budget on The Tonic. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal. Proudly Canadian and family-owned for over 35 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one in a state-of-the-art ISO-accredited lab. You get the purity and potency you expect. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Mercedes Gold is a certified personal trainer, certified holistic nutritionist, and published writer who loves to spend all her free time with her children and new grandson. She lives and breathes a holistic lifestyle. And for more information about Mercedes, please visit MercedesGold.com. Welcome to the show, Mercedes. How are you? I'm fabulous. You? I'm doing really well. So I do the shopping for my family every week. I'm the one who goes to the grocery store. I'm the one who goes to the big box. I'm the one who has the list toting around and everybody and their uncle knows that the price of doing so has gone up a lot in the last little while. Inflation's with us 
And I thought it would be interesting to bring somebody on the show to talk about how to mitigate against that pricing and at the same time, eat a healthy plant-based diet. Are you in? I am totally in. Okay. So let's start with fruits and vegetables. You know, they tend to have a premium attached to them. Should I buy canned, frozen, or fresh? Well, fresh is always first on the list. That's for sure. 100%. But that being said, when you're it's the middle of winter and you want to eat fresh, you don't want to choose something that is coming from the other side of the globe. With the price of gas, of course, this is what's increasing your transport fees, right? That's what's killing you on the price is that price to get it to Canada. So you want to always choose seasonal, and you always want to choose things that are growing as close to home as possible. So local, that farm-to-table talk that they repeat to us over and over, it's so true. Okay. So are you saying that canned and frozen come into effect if local isn't available or is too expensive? What's your thought on canned and frozen? Are you getting nutrition? At the end of the day, I always encourage people to eat vegetables and fruit. So you kind of go in order. So first on the top of the list is going to be that fresh, local, seasonal to bring your price right down. Of course, if you can, you're going to pick them. You're going to do all these great things to hold on to that fresh. Then you move to frozen, which is great because they do a lot of flash freezing. It's from a lot of local companies, especially if you're buying stuff that's growing in Canada. It's packaged here, too. And then kind of third down that list is coming in that can. And I know it's hard some days because you think, wow, the price is better on canned. But you want to look at health versus, you know, you got to weigh all of that at the same time. And usually with a little bit of price hunting, you're going to find a phenomenal deal all the time on fresh, and you're going to find it on frozen anyways. So I'm going to tell you to skip the canned. All right. So organics have their own special premium that's attached. And of course, that's because, you know, the cost of producing the fruits and vegetables, milk and meat, cheese, etc., just becomes more expensive because you can't use certain antibiotics and drugs and it just the process is just more expensive but is it important for people to buy organics well no and yes i mean there's a lot of things that are sprayed now Mm -hmm. you know there's two sides of the coin to gmo to non-gmo and whether you should choose that or not but organic it's really important with certain things because they are sprayed to death so my kind of rule of thumb is think about it when you're in the garden what do the bugs go to the most Mm -hmm. berries apples, right? The ones we love most are usually the ones that attract the bugs the most. So if you can, you want to try to choose those in organic. But that being said, every year there's this fabulous list that comes out from the Environmental Working Group, and it's called the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. So it lists from 1 to 12, the highest rank in order of which contains the pesticides and the herbicides on them. And then the Clean 15 are the best ones. So I kind of gauge my shopping trip by that. And then you again draw in that local and what's on season and what's growing. And you can tie it together and find food at an amazing deal. Right now, I mean, sweet potatoes, no, for sure. You don't have to buy those organic. They're also growing through Ontario. And there's tons of them right now. So the price is amazing right now. So that's what you should be eating, sweet potato fries, you know. So you bring down your budget for your family based on what's going on where you live. Okay. You know, quick rule of thumb for me is like for a fruit example, if it has like a thick non-permeable rind, Mm -hmm. it's less relevant to buy organic because the pesticides aren't getting through the skin if you have to make a quick decision. But that's that's just the, the rule of thumb that I go by. 
So my family, you know, we spend a lot of time eating. We're food centric. Meat is heavy. How will I make sure that like my kids are getting full? And my kids are older. Like some of them eat plant forward and their partners eat plant forward. So how would you go about it? Well, I love plant-based. And so you need protein. We all need, you know, protein, but you don't have to get it from animals. So to do it cost effectively, I mean, you have tofu. Tofu is so inexpensive, even if you choose organic, and you're going to get a, four servings out of a block, and a block can go from 2 to $5, and $5 being the most expensive one. And I'm pretty confident no one could find a piece of chicken for $1.25. That's true. You know, like you're getting quality food. You're getting your protein. Quinoa is fabulous, and quinoa is one of those plants that contains all the amino acids, and for not as, again, less money than eating meat. There's so many things that are available in the plant-based world that are economical to eat. You have lentils and chickpeas. Chili is amazing. You can make a big pot of chili, you know, full, full, full of different kinds of beans, and you can buy a giant bag of beans, 900-gram bag, those big plastic bags you see in the grocery store, for $3. And the other big thing that people don't realize, which is also going to help our waistline, is that if we ate according to the package on servings, Right? Most people don't know what a serving is, mm-hmm. so you're going to keep your grocery budget down if you actually follow what a recommended serving is. And you're going to be full. There's so much fiber in plants. That's what keeps you full, right? Your belly's full. It's great. Okay. So some people are not fans of vegetables. Like I was not a good vegetable eater when I was young and now I've come to appreciate them. I do a lot of cooking, so at least I'm making them the way I like them. Right. But not everybody feels that way about vegetables. They don't think they taste so good. (laughs) And also, you know, if you start putting condiments on them, that can be expensive. So, so what do you do with that conundrum? How do you make the vegetables taste good? Well, I love growing herbs. So you know, that gives different flavors, and you always kind of tap into into what people, they like as cultural food, right? Mm-hmm. Different cultures have their supporting herbs, so you can make lovely rice dishes and throw cilantro, you know, for a Mexican edge. Like, things like that are inexpensive. You can grow them all year on your windowsill, herbs, on your condo balcony, anywhere you want. And then things like soy sauce, right? That's inexpensive. Dijon mustard, that's really inexpensive, but tons of flavor in it, balsamic vinegars, like sweetened flavored vinegars. There's lots of things that you can buy in big bottles that aren't expensive, but are still healthy to add to your food to flavor it. Marinating them, tofu marinated is fabulous with herbs and some, you know, mustards and different things on it. Okay. So I don't know about you, but my wife and I do a lot of cooking based on recipes that we see on the web. But sometimes those have ingredients that are hard to access or like even we're not aware of, even though we're foodies. So how do you try out these recipes without sort of getting mired in searching for these obscure ingredients or it being too expensive, like with like multiple ingredients? You know, that's like a common complaint of my clients. When I, when I send these new recipe protocols, they write me back, okay, but Mercedes, like what's Chia? What's nutritional yeast? I don't even know what these things are. Right. So, yeah, if you walk into the health food store and you see that bottle, you think, really? She's going to make me spend $8 to test out that? What if I don't like it? So I'm like, you know what? There's stores that sell bulk products, right? You walk in there, you can buy exactly one cup of almond flour, exactly a quarter cup of coconut flour, Mm -hmm. you know, three tablespoons of hemp hearts. And then you can put together your recipe. You're going to find out exactly what that recipe costs to make, which is even better. 
and then you're going to see if you like it without being stuck with, you know, nine bottles in your cupboard of ingredients that you're saying, why did you give me that recipe? It's not for us. You know, the kids didn't love it. Right. So that's it. It's smarter. And then if you love the recipe, then you go into the bigger grocery store and you, you stock up on size. Okay. But it's definitely way more cost effective, especially with kids. Kids are fickle. Exactly. So, okay, so you've given us some pointers on cutting costs on sort of a micro level, but do you have any advice for people who are trying to lower their food costs in the long run? Well, one is sticking to portion size, right? Mm -hmm. You know, really not overeating. Eat when you're hungry. Like as a nutritionist and a personal trainer, those are like universal. No one should just be eating because they're bored. You want to eat because you're hungry and fill your body and fuel it properly, right? And most people need to learn that. So once you kind of establish what you need to eat to feel full, grow healthy, your kids and everything, you need to really stock up and go to bigger stores and buy those massive bags. So I love that Toronto and most major cities, obviously, across Canada have those grocery stores like the Asian grocery store, the Indian grocery store. So you can walk in and buy a massive bag of rice. You know, you Mm -hmm. put it in the garage, seal it up, you buy a great container and plastic and put it in, and you have it. And you're paying even less per serving. You need to start to learn to really buy in bulk for staple things like rice, dried chickpeas, lentils, things like that, pasta, and really cut your costs. When you can buy six packs on sale, stock up then. The expiration on those dry goods is years. So you really want to take advantage of that. And you don't want to waste anything. So, you know, if you're going to buy bananas fresh and the kids decide that week or your spouse, partner doesn't want them and they're starting to go bad, that's where you peel them and you put them in the Ziploc bag and you put them in the freezer for smoothies or save them to make banana bread. You really, you eat what you need. You start to really, especially with fresh, but on the dry stuff, you stock up big time. It's summer right now. Really for fun, you could go picking too, right? So really stock up and save by freezing it all for the winter. That makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you. For more great health and wellness interviews, visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn all about self-talk on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. 
Panacon guides and mentors people to work through seemingly unbreakable barriers, whether it's creating quantum leaps in their business or exceeding personal goals. She helps people challenge the thoughts and beliefs that are holding them back. Then through extensive work, those thoughts and beliefs are replaced with ones which help to supercharge her client's growth. As a peak performance coach, uh, Hin has been a student of the mind, human behavior, and human potential for almost two decades. For more information, visit hinnacon.ca. Welcome back to the show, Hina. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you, Jamie? I'm doing well today. So I've got you on the show. So you and I are going to talk together, but today's show is about self-talk. So, right. So that's like a monologue as opposed to a dialogue and it's, it's internal, right? Yes, that's right. That's exactly what it is. You know, when I'm talking about self-talk, I'm talking about the things that we say to ourselves that we may be aware of or sometimes not aware of. Yeah. I mean, we have thousands and thousands of thoughts a day. And the majority of it is running on autopilot. So when I'm talking about self-talk, I'm talking about the things that you say to yourself before you go to bed, the things that you say to yourself when you're getting ready to present something, you know, if you're with your colleagues. It's this narrative that is within you that really speaks to, no pun intended, how you truly feel about yourself. That is what I mean by self-talk. I am in a constant state of self-talk. And unfortunately, a lot of the messages I'm sending myself are incredibly negative. And it's a real issue for me. It's, you know, like it'll pop up. And the strange thing is sometimes I even say it out loud. I don't even, Mm. I I don't know if you have clients who do that, but I will, I will literally talk to myself out loud, which I think people would find shocking. Yes. You know, you're not alone. Many people do. And many people like yourself have identified that their self-talk is not very kind all the time. And in fact, if it was something that their children said to themselves or someone said to their children, they would be mortified. Horrified. Yeah, horrified. Yet it is running all the time and and most times unchecked throughout the day, throughout our lives. So for me, it's almost like a... I, you know, not to get too Freudian, you know, when you're talking about the ego and the, and, and the id, mm-hmm. but a lot of the stuff that I talk about to myself is emotional and it could be as stark as, you know, here's what I think of you today. You know, it isn't necessarily connected to what I'm doing or the experience that I'm in. Is, is that something that other people experience too? A hundred percent. And that's what I meant when it, when I was saying like it is with you and it's truly about how you feel about yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's what it is. And it's a very telling because what the self-talk is telling us is what is happening in your subconscious mind. Yeah. And it's your subconscious mind that also, you know, it's different for everybody, but it can also be running the show in the sense that, let's say you're offered something new, an adventure, some travel that you've wanted to do down the road or some new business adventure or a promotion or something that is different, your self-talk might come up so fast and, and like shut it down of why you can't do it. Who are you to do it? You know, this is where we talk about imposter syndrome as well. Right. Oh, you're too old now to be doing something like that. Who do you think you are? What will other people think? You know, at this age, you should be doing this or that. Who, you know, who are you kidding? That time is gone. And it can really affect the decisions that people make because some of the decisions that they're making is through the filter of that self-talk. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, when I'm rationalizing, I feel like it's almost like it's like bubbling up to the surface. Like mm-hmm. emotionally, that's how it feels. It's like I'm suppressing these thoughts by doing the work that I do, or you know, just you know, the things that we all do, right? Going to work, exercising, having dinner, making dinner, being with a spouse, walking the dog. Those are things that I do. It doesn't negatively impact those things, but clearly. It's there in the background. So I would imagine it can be quite destructive if the messaging you're sending yourself is preventing you from doing what you want to do. Yeah. And then another question, and I don't even know if you've ever asked yourself, Jamie, this is, why is it okay for you to talk to yourself like that? It isn't. I mean, it isn't. I, I mean, I, yeah. I, it's a coping mechanism, I would think. I mean, it's it's my subconscious messaging my conscious about some of my behavior. I, I don't quite know what it means, but it's clearly meant to regulate my behavior, right? Yes. And, you know, it could have been that at one point in your life, it was useful. It helped you in some way. It protected you. It helped you in some way. But what happens is we outgrow it or it has expired, but it is still with us. And because it is on autopilot, because it is habitual. So this is where we actually have to do the conscious work now of reframing, of interrupting the pattern when it happens. So how, do we, how, how do we do discipline. it? So what, what are some steps that you could take if, if you're experiencing this negative self-talk? Yeah. So, you know, one way you can think of it just to help is to imagine a field with tall grass. And in one part of the field, the grass is matted down because it has been walked on so many times. And that can represent your self-talk that's on autopilot. That always comes up. It's a well-worn path. And you don't have to think. Like, that's the thing. You actually don't have to think. You wake up in the morning and you are walking this path of thoughts for the most part. And this is actually also what people in relationships they don't like, in jobs they don't like, you know, because it keeps them in their comfort zone. They know it. Well, that well-worn path was created at some point, probably, you know, when you were younger. And it was created by what we repeatedly said to us, said to ourselves is what we're walking, the conversations in your family, the culture you grew up in, the community you lived in. So sometimes some of these beliefs that you may have that you may be saying to yourself, you're not necessarily responsible for those beliefs. Like at one point, we were kind of open and absorbing the environment. But now we are responsible to change them if they're not serving us. So now what you want to do is you want to be right beside that well-worn path is just tall grass. Well, we want to go down a different path. But, you know, when you walk down a, a path that hasn't been walked on before, it's like you're a little clumsy. You're really having to be hyper aware of where you're stepping. And as soon as you step down, the grass kind of bounces right back up after you walk on it. So imagine the amount of repetition of the new thought that it will take for you to create a path that is easy to walk. So you're going to go back and forth sometimes. Like you'll start and then you'll be aware like, oh, wait, I no, I'm not available for that kind of thought. I do, I do not talk to myself that way. I don't. I don't anymore. So then you go to the new path. You'll be on that new path for a while. And then you'll go back because we kind of go unconscious. Yep. But then the idea is that over time, Jamie, you're on that new path a lot more than you're on the well-worn one. 
but to help you, it is really helpful. This is, and I know some people find it cheesy, but this is really helpful. This is, it, this is where it's helpful to have affirmations. Okay, I was wondering. something <laughs> else. Yeah, and the affirmations don't, like, let's say one thing that we have is, uh, you know what, you never finish anything, or you're, you're an idiot. It's something we say to ourselves. The affirmation doesn't have to be, I finish everything, because that's too much of a stretch. It could just be, every day I'm trying my best. I'm getting better. You know, there's actually a lot of things that I do finish. You know, so it can just be something to soften it. It doesn't have to be the exact opposite of it, because that can be just too much of a stretch and actually put you more in resistance. So affirmations can be really helpful. What you listen to, the content that you're absorbing can be helpful. And then also creating an image of the person that you desire to be and thinking, huh, does my inner talk match that image? And if the answer is no, then then actually say, actually writing out, what would the inner talk be of the person that I truly do want to become and feel like I'm becoming so that you have it on hand? Is the goal of the affirmation that if you're almost willing it to be true? In other words, like by repeating the positive emotions, thoughts, you are actually manifesting them. Is that the way it works or is it a little more complicated than that? Well, it, it is that way. It's through repetition. You know, your the current self-talk that we have going on, if it is not what we desire, that was created through repetition. And so it is through repetition, but it's not enough just to pair it, right. pair it back. Like, you've yeah. actually got to put some emotion behind it. And sometimes, you know, it's, you know, one way that I help a client with this is to say, what would you say to your child? And because that can be an entry point to say, like, okay, yes, for my child, like, you know, we would have so much love and be like, no, don't ever say that you're stupid. Don't ever say those things. So that can just be an entry point, and then we can say it to ourselves. But we do want to have some emotion behind it, which is why I say if it's too much of a stretch, it's actually going to do the opposite. Right. So we actually want to say, like, you know what, I'm doing better. Every day, it's getting a little bit better, and everything is always working out for me, and I can't get it wrong. And yes, there have been some things that I have done that didn't work out, but I learned from them. So we just start to talk in general kinder to ourselves as well. Well, that sounds like a good plan. Thank you uh, so much for coming on the show today and, and sharing that. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jamie. Thanks for having me. That was Hina Khan. For more information about her, you can visit hinnacon.ca. For great health and wellness interviews and articles, visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian-owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. 
Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Welcome back to The Tonic. Your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Bram Busson has a degree in chemical biology from McMaster University and is currently enrolled at the University of Toronto, where he will be pursuing a PhD in biomedical engineering. He also happens to be my son. Welcome to the show, Bram. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. So the reason I brought you on the show is because, you know, you've over dinners, you've been explaining to me, you know, the research that you're currently doing into CRISPR, which is like way above my pay grade in terms of understanding. And you do a great job of explaining it. So I thought I'd bring you on the show so you could explain what CRISPR is and why we should care. Okay. All right. Thanks for having me. So let's start at the beginning. What is CRISPR? So CRISPR is an acronym. It stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Palindromic Repeats, but that doesn't mean anything. No, it doesn't. <laughs> so really what it is, it's something called a biotechnology, and it's being used to edit genes and DNA to change them in desired ways. It was discovered in 2011 by two different labs simultaneously, and since then, it's won the Nobel Prize a few years ago. It's created its own entire field of research and has completely revolutionized science. It's a system that's found in nature, in bacteria, where bacteria use it to defend against viruses. So as humans, we have, we're huge multicellular organisms. So we have all kinds of systems to defend ourselves against pathogens and viruses. But bacteria are just one cell. So mm -hmm. they can't really have complex systems the same way we can. So they created an ingenious system where after they've encountered a virus and survived it, what they do is they take little snippets of the DNA of the virus and then put it into their own DNA. That way, their cells know what the virus is when they encounter it and have defenses against it. So this is called CRISPR, and it was, uh, it's very common in bacteria, and it was found in 2011. Since then, there's been a whole revolution in science trying to use this technology to edit our genes, which is easier said than done. But there has been a lot of success. There were techniques to edit human genes before, but they weren't very good. A good analogy I like is before we only had a hammer to edit genes. You could change stuff, but you would change a lot more than you wanted to and leave a lot of damage. Now, CRISPR is almost like having access to a scalpel. So it's a finer tool, which means we can do more finesse work and there aren't as many ramifications that might be negative as a result exactly. of making those changes. Okay, that makes exactly. sense. Okay. Can you explain a little bit how it works? So it works with two different components. There's a protein called a Cas protein. The most common one is called Cas9. So that protein can cut your DNA. And then the second component is something called an RNA. 
So you might have heard of RNA from the vaccines that we had. The vaccines were RNA vaccines. So if you think of DNA as the plan for your body, RNA is sort of like the blueprint that you use when building it. So RNA doesn't last quite as long, but it's easier to make. So we, so Cas9 is targeted by this RNA to whatever point in the in your DNA that they want to that wants to be that needs to be edited, and then their Cas9 cuts the DNA and then it gets repaired and then you have whatever desired changes you need. So with CRISPR, you can change basically the plans for your body. Okay, so when you say that, like the cutting part, I understand. Is it just sort of natural cell replication that fuses the disparate parts back together? Is that how it works? So your cells have all kinds of mechanisms to repair damage that happens to your DNA. Damage happens to your DNA constantly, going out in the sun, when you're exposed to chemicals, your body has, or even just growing and getting old, your body has tons of mechanisms that counteract damage to your DNA to keep you alive and stop you right. from getting Right, so, so that's like, like free radicals would be another instance of that, right? Where they're attacking your, your DNA and your cells? Exactly. All right. So all this is very esoteric. Why should the average person care about this? Like, why does it matter? So right now in the clinic and in hospitals, there are so many diseases that we can't treat, especially genetic disease disorders. We currently have no treatments. Well, before CRISPR, we had no treatments that worked in a hospital to treat these genetic disorders, disorders like cystic fibrosis, sickle cell, Huntington's, Tay-Sachs. There are so many diseases where we can't actually treat them. What we have to do is just treat the symptoms that these diseases create. So we can only make people feel a little better while they continue to suffer. And these diseases lead to so many deaths. And we couldn't, before gene editing, we couldn't address the root causes of these diseases. People Mm -hmm. were just sort of left to suffer and die, which was terrible. So with CRISPR, we can basically fix our DNA in order to undo these diseases, if that makes sense. It does make sense. I guess the question, like, let's get into sort of the efficacies and the ethics and the risks, okay? Because this all sounds great, but with a tool like this, I guess if people aren't careful, it could be used incorrectly or it may cause problems. So let's talk about that for a minute. Are there risks to using CRISPR technology? So absolutely. There are risks to everything, but CRISPR, I think, is especially risky. First off, there's just risks of side effects. You know, you could edit it and editing the genes could have some sort of effect other than the one you want in the body. You know, we know a lot more about DNA than we used to 10 years ago, but we still don't really know that much about how our genes work. Aside from that, it could just not work or work in a faulty manner, in which case you would have nasty side effects. But then of the use itself, even when it works, there are risks and concerns, especially with consent. So if this were to be edited in a way where your kids have that gene edit and their kids and their kids, there's an issue of consent where your kids and any kids they might have didn't consent to having their blueprints changed, basically. Mm -hmm. So we have to be very careful moving forward when editing the genes of people because those could be carried on forever. And that assumes that it works. What if something goes wrong and then that mistake is carried on for generations and generations? So that's a huge risk. 
Now, there are approaches to mitigate that. For example, if you edit certain parts of the body, it won't get carried on to sperm and egg cells. Okay. So that mitigates some risk, but there's always the risk of it jumping over. Mistakes happen. What about the ethics of it? I know you're working in a lab that is utilizing the technology. Are there ethical issues that you're dealing with when you're doing the research? So with what I'm doing, there are very little ethical concerns because I'm more using CRISPR as a tool to diagnose issues, not in live animals, only in cell cultures. So for my research, there's very little, it's, there's very little concerns. It's more of a, of a tool to probe how the human cell works. But for using it clinically, there are ethical concerns. For example, concerns of eugenics. Many want to regulate CRISPR so that it can't be used to change cosmetic genes in babies. For example, eye color, height, hair color. Baldness. Baldness. Sure. <laughs> I wouldn't have been mad about that one. Yeah, me but. neither. But because of that, there's concerns that this could lead to sort of eugenics issues. But if you're doing these edits in a way where it's not being carried on for generations, in my mind, I don't see it as being any different than something like plastic surgery. But if you are carrying that on from generation to generation, there are definitely ethical concerns, and in my opinion, um, regulations should be considered. Okay. So you've talked about real concerns, but I think, you know, there's a lot of concerns out there that might not be grounded in science or reality. What are some of the myths that you've heard about CRISPR and what do you think about those, those ideas? So the first myth is that it's way in the future. Many CRISPR gene therapies are currently in clinical trials. I believe one of them recently got uh, approved. And there's also less direct uses of CRISPR that are currently in use. For example, there's a cancer therapy called CAR-T therapy, where instead of injecting you with this CRISPR technology, what they do is they take some of your blood and they take an immune cell from your blood, and then they edit the immune cells and then put it back in your body. And then those immune cells go after your cancer cells. So that's currently in use. And while it's not as direct as uh, changing your DNA, it is a use of CRISPR and it's great. Mm -hmm. It's doing a lot of good for very for people with very bad um, cancer outcomes. Mm -hmm. Anything else? And then another concern uh, or myth is that you could use this to choose your child's height, eye color, or hair color. Right. So while compared to what we had before, CRISPR is like a scalpel, it's not perfect. And even if it was, our understanding of how these things work together in our genes is still pretty rudimentary. We don't know one gene that controls um, height. We There's like 40 of them, and we couldn't edit 40 genes, you know. We're not there yet, even if we wanted to be, whether or whether or not we should. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and explaining it to us. Thanks for having me. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Andrea Donsky, Mercedes Gold, Hina Khan, and Bram Bussin. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. 
The July-August issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.